Well, thanks for being part of that uh, church. In, in Matthew chapter uh, 28, when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, if you remember what it says, he commissions us to not make churches, but to make disciples, right? We want to be a church of Jesus that is following him as his disciples. Building churches was never the point. Building disciples was always the point. And every church is a people filled with disciples. Disciples who walk with Jesus. Disciples who become like Jesus. Disciples who join in what Jesus is doing because that's what it means to be a disciple in the world. And over the past few weeks, uh, I've called you into these various pathways that, that the church has walked throughout the generations, pathways that help us walk with Jesus in our life, to do the very first of these three things that disciples do, to walk with him. And these pathways, they, they help us walk with Jesus in the midst of what we do in a week. And we've looked at the pathways of Sabbath and the pathway of, of meeting God through reading the Bible. And today I want to turn your attention to the pathway of prayer. Prayer. So turn with me to John chapter 15, and it's a short verse, verses 4 to 8. I invite you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Actually, could we stand together as I read the gospel? John 15, 4 to 8, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Remain standing as we pray. Jesus. I pray this morning as we sit under your word, as we consider what it means to be people who pray, Jesus, that you would do what prayer is meant to do this morning, to bring us into the love of a heavenly Father who wants every part of our being. So Jesus, may your presence fill us as we open our lives to you afresh, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Um, the second sermon that I ever preached uh, in my life uh, was a sermon on prayer. <laughs> and we're going back some 17 years ago, and I remember feeling completely out of my league. <laughs> a poser pastor preaching to the saints about prayer. <laughs> 17 years later, I'm not sure I feel much different. <laughs> and after that sermon, my second one ever, a, a man that I really respected, he came up to me and he asked, he said, Keith, thank you for the sermon, but tell me, 
Why should I pray? You didn't answer that question for me. Why should I pray? And he went on and he said, Keith, uh, I, I think praying is a little bit like stretching. Now, this man was a runner. He would run everywhere on the north shore of Vancouver. And he said, I think prayer is like stretching. I know that I should do it, but I can still run without it. And I remember giving this nervous chuckle, really not knowing how to respond to his comments because deep down inside, I had the sense that, that his understanding of prayer was completely off. Can a person run the race of following Jesus without prayer? Is prayer something that you can simply add to your Christian life in order to make it better, like stretching? You see, sometimes when we come to the spiritual disciplines, we get really overwhelmed because we begin to think, oh my goodness, I've now got to start adding all of these new things into my already busy life. And we get overwhelmed. But here's the thing. Learning to pray isn't about adding another thing to do in your life. It's about connecting to the very reason you're living. You don't add prayer to your life. Rather, you live through prayer. Without prayer, there is no Christian life. Let me be clear. Without prayer, there is no Christian life. In other words, one does not add prayer to the Christian life. Prayer is the Christian life. And you know what? You, you don't need to be a Christian to understand this link between prayer and life. You don't need to be a believer. After World War II, there was the phrase that was coined. Of course, you, you likely know it. It's the phrase that goes, there are no atheists in foxholes. When life is under threat, people pray. No matter what they believe about God, when their life is under threat, people pray. It's a fact. And many of our non-Christian friends, they, they throw up a prayer when their life is in jeopardy by illness or, 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 or tragedy. And it's like there is this, this connection to God that lies dormant in a person. It lies dormant in the unbelieving until their life is threatened and it's awakened in desperation. And it happens in people of faith too. And it's because prayer, communion with God, is a lifeline. It is a line to life. When Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The life that he is talking about here it isn't, to do, isn't the life to do whatever we please. It's not that kind of life. And he's not talking about the make as much money as you can life either. He isn't talking about the eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die life either. He's talking about the life that God is, the life that God has. Jesus came so we could have that life, his life. He came so we could be reconciled to the eternal and everlasting life of God. And prayer is the lifeline. 
And I'm not so much thinking about a lifeline like a life preserver that, 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 that a, a lifeguard throws out to us when we're drowning. Though that's often how we pray. And, and it's a fine form of prayer because we're in those places. We, we pray when we're in desperate need, right? When, when our career or our finances are in trouble or, or maybe there's a relationship that's in jeopardy or when we're sick. We throw out a lifeline to God. But the more that I get to know Jesus, the more that I read the Bible, the more that I pray, the more I'm convinced that the way God intends us to pray is different than that kind of lifeline. He has something else in mind. More like an umbilical cord. The kind of lifeline that, that taps into the source of life itself. A lifeline that is pulsating with the life of God that, that then nourishes and grows us into the Christ-likeness from which that lifeline comes. It's a different kind of lifeline. Jesus says as much in John chapter 15, which I read. But he uses a different metaphor to an umbilical cord. He uses the metaphor of a vine and its branches. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, a branch disconnected from the vine isn't any good. In fact, it's dead wood, isn't it? <laughs> But a branch that remains connected to the vine, it's alive. The branch will bear fruit. It, it will live the same life that pulsates through the vine itself. It will live the life that it was made to live. So let me say it again. One does not add prayer to the Christian life. Prayer is the Christian life. And the key word in John chapter 15 is the word remain. It comes up over 10 times in, in a few short verses. And Jesus says, remain. Remain in me. Remain in me over and over. And remain is the Greek word meno. And it means to stay or, or to make your home with. The key to living the Christian life is to make our home in Jesus so that he might make his home in us. And prayer is how we remain. It's how we abide. It's, it's how we make our home in Christ. Herein lies the entire point of prayer. You see, prayer is keeping company with God, the God who is always with us. Prayer is keeping company with him. You can think about a glass of water. If the water in the glass is God's presence. If the water is the life that he wants to share with us, the glass is the vessel of prayer that carries God's presence into our lives. Just as we need the glass to drink the water, we need prayer to drink in God's presence. It's how we keep company with him. Uh, Baz Luhrmann, maybe some of you know who he is. He's a famous Hollywood director. He, he made movies like uh, Elvis and The Great Gatsby and, and Romeo and Juliet. You remember that one? Throwback to the 90s. Anyone? 
90s, yeah, okay, we got a few people. My generation lived off that movie. <laughs> you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Claire Danes. Well, one of my favorite films of, of Lurman's is, uh, is the story he tells called The Moulin Rouge. You ever seen that one? It's about a poor bohemian poet who's Ewan McGregor, and it's in the 1890s Paris setting, and he falls in love for a beautiful courtesan who is Nicole Kidman, but she is being coveted by this jealous duke. And I love the story because of a single line that runs throughout the entire story. It pops up over and over again. It's said, and it's sung, and it's said, and it's sung, and the line says this. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is to be loved and to love, or is to love and be loved in return. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is to love and be loved in return. It's the moral of the story, but it rings true, doesn't it? And I think it's what God intends for us through prayer to learn to love him and to be loved by him in return. In fact, 650 years before this story of Moulin Rouge was written and put together, 650 years before the story was told, a monk named Callistos I, he penned almost the exact same line 650 years earlier, but he wasn't talking about a human love story. He was talking about the love story between us and God. And he said this, that the most important thing that happens between God and the human soul is to love and be loved. The most important thing that happens between God and the human soul is to love and be loved. The most important thing. To love God and be loved by God. And that's what prayer is meant to do. It's not meant to be the place where we give our laundry list of requests to God. It is the foundation from which we cultivate a love and be loved relationship with God. It's the place where we create a lifeline of shared love between us and the lover of our soul. Which is why, incidentally, that prayer takes on many different forms and many different ways of praying, right? Prayer is both our praise to God for the great things he's done, but it's also our deep lament, our disappointment. We give thanks in prayer, and, and we petition God in prayer. It takes on many different forms and languages because that's how love is shared in the honest and real parts of life. It is the place to cultivate our love for God and for him to lavish his love on us. And now, some of you maybe are thinking at this point, Keith, you've taken us down a strange road here. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're uh, thinking that this language about prayer is too sappy for you. It's a little too affectionate. It's, it, it, it's maybe uh, not hitting you in the right way. Well, let me allow the Apostle John to weigh in here. 1 John 3. Verse 1, he says, See what great love 
the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You see, God lavishes his love upon us. He calls us his children, and he is our affectionate heavenly father. And maybe you have a hard time seeing God that way as as affectionate. Maybe you didn't have an affectionate parent growing up, or, and it shaped the way that you see your relationship with God. And I actually think this happens with a lot of different people. It happens with a lot of us. The way that we perceive God affects the way that we pray. For instance, if, if you think that God is far away, that he's distant, that, that, he, 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 that, that he's kind of unavailable to you, then you're unlikely to draw near to him if you think that he's distant, far away. If you think that God is always angry with you all the time, then you're unlikely to lean into his presence and hear the words of love that he is constantly speaking over you. If you think that God doesn't care about you, then you'll probably never be vulnerable with him and you won't bring your deepest fears and needs to him in prayer. And the point is, Your prayer life will never get off the ground until you see God for who he truly and really is. And he is the one Jesus called Abba, Father. He is not distant. He is closer than your next breath. He is not angry with you. You are his beloved. God loved the world, you, so much that he sent his one and only son (laughs) That whoever believes in him would not perish. They would not be extinguished. They would not be expunged from history. But they would have eternal life through Christ. He's not angry with you. You are his beloved. And he cares about every moment of your life. Every need, every joy, every failure, every hope, every disappointment. And he wants to walk through it all with you. The way we perceive God affects the way that we pray. And until we see God for who he truly is, our prayer life will never really take off. But the thing is, it's in that place of prayer that we come to learn the love of the Father. We come to experience it for ourselves. We taste and see that the Lord is good. And I want to get practical in just a moment and, and talk about how we can walk this pathway of prayer. But, but before I get practical, uh, there's one more thing that I want to say about why we struggle to pray. Because sometimes we struggle to pray because we don't think it makes a difference. I wonder if that's true for you. Sometimes we think prayer doesn't do anything. Uh, maybe for you... You feel like you've tried praying in the past, but nothing seemed to happen. Or maybe you think God's already made up his mind, so why should you pray anyways? He's going to do whatever he wants anyways. See, many people never really get far in prayer because they don't think it makes a difference. But friends, let me say, it most certainly does. Prayer is powerful. And the power of prayer, it doesn't come through how often you pray. And it doesn't come in in praying the exact right words. 
The power of prayer rests in the fact that whenever we pray, God hears. He listens. That whenever we pray, he hears every word and he takes them into his heart. And having heard, mark this, God is always stirred to action. Always. Every time. Now, of course, God doesn't always do what we want him to do or what we expect him to do or ask him to do, but make no mistake about it. God is always stirred to action whenever we pray because prayer stirs up God's love for us. It moves his compassion. And as one of the parables that Jesus tells makes crystal clear, when we pray... God will surely get up and give us as much as we need. And Jesus goes on to say after that parable, he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, which uh, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ah, do you hear? Do you hear how God acts every time that you pray? When you come to God in prayer, no matter what you pray, God gets up and attends to you by giving you himself, his Holy Spirit. He gives you the Spirit, the Spirit who is always comforting and always correcting. The Spirit who has the power to transform and the power to heal. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Make no mistake about it, prayer makes a difference. And maybe what we need to wrap our heads around is, is that we need to change the trend that we most often follow when it comes to prayer. Because the trend we most often follow is, is this. Something happens, and then we pray. Right? Something happens. It's usually something that we don't like, a, a, an illness or, or a threat to our finances or the like that I've already spoken about. Something happens, then we pray. But we've got to learn to flip the, the script. Not something happens, then we pray, but we pray, then something happens. We pray, then something happens every time. God gets up and gives us what we really need. And so how can we walk the prayer, the, this pathway of prayer in, in the week ahead and in the months ahead and in the year ahead? How can we walk this pathway of prayer? Well, I want to say that I know that there are a number of people in this room who have a solid path to walk in this regard, that you have a regular lifeline with God. But many people, many of us, we struggle in this area, and, and we actually just need some practical help. Sometimes we need a, a practical uh, kick in, in the butt. <laughs> I know I do. And so if you're starting out or you're looking to kickstart your prayer life, let me suggest a few practical things. First, you need to set a time and a place to pray without distractions. Don't switch off 
in this moment because <laughs> you knew this was coming. But don't switch off because there are no shortcuts to growing in your life with Jesus. There are no shortcuts. The lifeline of prayer is not a passive exercise. The abiding that Jesus calls us into, it is a verb. It's something we do. And in order to cultivate your life with Christ, you need to, to take responsibility and you need to take action. But here's the thing. You don't need to pray for, for hours on end, day in and day out, in order to walk the pathway of prayer with Jesus. And if you're just starting out on this road, I suggest you simply take five minutes, three times a week. That's not much. Five minutes, three times a week. And as you do that, you need to find a time and a space that works for you in the flow of your week. Before I had kids, I would take five minutes at the breakfast table in the mornings. And then I had kids. And what is breakfast time in the mornings? Is there such a thing? Although my wife Gina's here and she's like, well, no, you're usually having a coffee and I'm doing all the work in the kitchen for the kids to get them out the door. So I got to be honest here. <laughs> but you know, life changes when you have kids. Sometimes the rhythms that you connected with God, you don't have anymore because of the space of life that you're in. Or maybe you've, you've, you find yourself in a space of life that you weren't previously. You used to enjoy time with God in prayer, but now you don't because your life has changed. And that's the point. We need to adapt. We need to change. I heard about a, a mom who has four kids, and, and she would go into the bathroom and lock the door just to have a few minutes of prayer. Um, she found a way. In my few minutes uh, in the morning, now what I do is I, I take a few minutes before I start my work, a few days a week. And in those few minutes, sometimes I just simply pray. I, I, I pray, Jesus, I give this day to you. Help me glorify you in all that you do. It's less than five minutes. But it orients my heart to listen to God the rest of the day. Other times in that space, I write in a prayer journal. I write my prayer to God. I write the scriptures that come to mind. I listen for his voice and write down what I think he's saying to me. And some people use a prayer app. There are many. You can find one. Some people pray the scriptures in that five minutes. They, they take the Lord's Prayer and pray it, or they'll pray through the Psalms. And if you're looking for some good resources on prayer, uh, let me direct you to the link on our website under Formation Resources. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of resources on prayer and all of the spiritual disciplines on all of our discipleship pathways. I encourage you to check them out. But my point is this. We all need a time and a quiet space to pray. And I'm guessing that that's no surprise to you. You've heard that kind of sermon a million times before, if you've been to church a million times. <laughs> but what I have to say next might be more of a surprise to you. You also need to learn to pray in the hustle and bustle of your life. In the midst of the bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, and the finance meetings, and changing diapers, and doing your taxes, walking your dog. In the mid-1600s, a man named Lawrence walked into a monastery in Paris, uh, in Paris, France, and he had this desire to cultivate his own lifeline to God, so he walks into this monastery. And he joined the monastery, not as a monk or as a priest, 
but as a dishwasher. And in time, of course, he learned to pray in the manner of the monks. For long periods of time in silence and solitude, he learned it. But he spent most of his time cleaning the dishes, clearing up after people. Brother Lawrence, as he was called, he went on to write one of the most popular books on prayer ever written, and it was titled The Practice of the Presence of God. And here's what he has to say about prayer. He says, The time of busyness does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. Brother Lawrence is saying that he knew a way of prayer that carried over from the quiet place into the chaos of his everyday life. That there are no times and there are no places where we cannot commune with God if we learn to pray without ceasing, as the Apostle Paul puts it. I find it interesting that when Jesus tells the disciples to abide in John chapter 15, they're actually on the move. We need to work to see this, but, but a chapter before in John chapter 14, actually going all the way back to John chapter 12, uh, the disciples are in a quiet place. It's called the upper room discourse in John's gospel. Maybe you're familiar with it. They're in this quiet room, the upper room. Jesus is preparing his disciples for, for life after his death, so he pulls them into a quiet room out of the busy streets. And it's in the quietness of the upper room that they share a meal and Jesus washes their feet and he shows them God's servant heart. He points them to his death on the cross by washing his feet. It was like being in a quiet place of prayer with God. Close, loving, intimate. But look at the very end of John 14. If you flip back one page from, from 15, while they are in the upper room, Jesus says at the end of John 14, Come now, let us leave. They leave the quiet place. They go back into the chaos of the streets in Jerusalem. And the very first thing Jesus instructs his disciples in John 15 is to learn to abide. Because the reality is the busyness and chaos of the street is where we live most of our life. And it's there that Christ wants us to abide. See, we can learn to be in God's presence in the chaos of life just as much as in the quietness of the prayer room. But it takes work. We first need to learn to pray in the quietness of the prayer room. Because that's where we cultivate an ear for God's voice. It's where we can focus our, our, our prayer attention most clearly. It's where we cultivate that relationship of love. But having done that, we can learn to take our prayer to the streets, so to speak. We can learn to be present with God in the ordinary, mundane moments of our day. And I want to suggest a way to help you do that, a way to, to, to help awaken you to the presence of Jesus in the ordinary moments of your life. And so, for just a moment, why don't you think about those ordinary moments of your life? 
Like waiting in line for your Starbucks order. Or waiting for the elevator to arrive. <laughs> or waiting for your class to start. Or, or maybe it's when you're waiting in the grocery store, right? These are these mundane moments of time, right? What do you do in those mundane moments? Well, I'll tell you what you do. <laughs> you do probably what I do as well. We take out our phone <laughs> and we check the time, we check our socials, we check the weather, we check our phone. You escape the moment of waiting. We all do. And we do well to recognize that there are multi-billion dollar corporations that spend massive amounts of money in research and development with one goal in mind. And their goal is to keep your attention on their products through the phone in your pocket. <laughs> your attention is important to these billionaire companies. But what if those moments of time, instead of pulling out your phone, you took a breath? And you prayed. Jesus, give me eyes to see what you see in this moment. Or Jesus, I thank you for the gift of waiting because I know you're present in it. Or Jesus, I pray your blessing over my barista. What if every time you habitually put your hand in your pocket and you felt that warmth of your phone case, instead of pulling it out, to check, you, tune, you tune, turned your attention to Jesus for those 30 seconds of spiritual formation instead of giving your attention to companies that are paying for it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that our phones are evil, and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be on Instagram, but, but what I am saying is that our phones can keep us distracted from being present with Christ and the people to whom he's called us. And if you want to learn to abide in Christ throughout the day, you can retrain yourself, literally retrain yourself to pray in the little moments where you once instinctively checked your socials. And as we do, as we learn to pray in those moments of life, we will most certainly cultivate a greater connection to God in every other moment, like Brother Lawrence did washing the dishes. Church, there is no time or space that we cannot commune with God. So find your quiet place that you need to pray each week. And as you go into the hustle and bustle of your day, find a rhythm of abiding with Christ therein. Because prayer is the lifeline to God's love that we all truly need. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the lover of our soul. You went to great lengths to take our sin and our shame upon yourself on the cross in order to reconcile us to the God of love. That you are the reason that the lifeline exists. And that through your cross, you have plugged us in to the one who made us and loves us. And for that, Jesus, we are truly thankful. And so in the days ahead, Lord Jesus, as we obediently respond to your invitation to be with you through prayer, 
I pray, Lord Jesus, for the weight of your blessing to fall upon your people. That we would hear your voice afresh. That you would fill us with a greater love and a greater confidence to be your people in this world. And we pray through it all, Lord Jesus, that your glory would abound more and more. We pray in your name.